Hey there, everybody. It's Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And we're here with Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast, where we take your favorite animals and rate them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We are not zoological experts, but we try our best to get the most correct information we can about the animals we talk about here. I just got back from our fourth <laughs> trip to the Seattle Aquarium. <laughs> In as many weeks. <laughs> we uh, got a membership. It was like one of the first things we did here upon arriving in Seattle was getting a family membership to the Seattle Aquarium so we can go whenever we want. And I've been abusing that privilege heavily at least once a week we've been going. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also been to Point Defiance Zoo and Aquarium. Well, I, I went, I took the kids there recently. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. And you and I went to Woodland Park Zoo back a few months ago when we visited here. So, oh, there's this like tiny little aquarium that is like part of a nearby college near where we live. And it's open for free on Saturdays. And we checked that one out, too. That was really cool. They had a hagfish there. And I'd never in my entire life seen a hagfish. So I was really excited about they that. They were smaller than I was expecting. It I don't know. Maybe little... those are just small ones. but They were so little. <laughs> I was really excited to see a hagfish. It was mm-hmm. awesome. So we've been really getting our fill of, like, museums and zoos and aquariums. And we've been going nuts with it. Oh, this weekend, we went down to the locks, in, to the Ballard Locks, mm-hmm. and we got to see the coolest thing. So the locks, uh, you know, if you're not familiar with locks, they're basically like an elevator <laughs> that lets boats come like in and out across like rising water levels. Mm-hmm. And these locks had a structure called a fish ladder, basically like a series of small inclined basins where the salmon can swim up the locks mm-hmm. by like going up the steps. And we got to watch these wild salmon swim up the ladder at the locks. And like every time the salmon would make it to the top, Everybody watching would like cheer for them. It was oh, yeah. so cool. It was very um, a triumphant story being told there. It was gorgeous. It was so cinematic. <laughs> it was really cool. <laughs> but we got to see wild salmon. They weren't yeah. sockeye salmon like what I talked about a few weeks ago on here. But um, I think they were Chinook salmon. Were they all salmon? I thought there might be a fish or two in there that weren't salmon. I, probably. I just that's a very salmon like thing to do, right? That's very on brand. They have a bouncer that only lets the salmon <laughs> use the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see some ID. <laughs> um, there we also got to see the human version of this, where the locks let boats traverse. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although that, to me, was was secondary to getting to see the fish ladder. Yes. The fish ladder was really cool. And there was like an underwater viewing area mm-hmm. where you could go down and like see the salmon as they were swimming. It was really, really cool. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we've definitely been having a lot of really cool like nature and wildlife experiences out here yeah especially you and the kids uh, because i know that's a great way to keep them entertained uh, during the work days yeah with it being summer and the the older one's not in school and the younger one is not in daycare right now so i need something to like Mm -hmm. fill the time during the day and tire them out so that the little one will nap Mm -hmm. (laughs) so we've been staying busy doing lots of hiking lots of playing in creeks and streams and we're, we're having a good time. Yes. We're, we're living it up here in Washington. <laughs> Christian, you have an animal to talk about this week. Yes. What animal are you talking about this week? Speaking of fish. We just can't get them off our minds. I can't. I shan't. I'll be talking about the basking shark. I'm excited for this one. Yes. Scientific name, Caterinus maximus. And this species was submitted by Sean. Thank uh, you, Sean. Yes, thank you. I'll be getting my information from the Florida Museum as well as Animal Diversity Web. So, as you mentioned, you might have recognized some of the Greek and or Latin in that name. Maximus, for sure. (laughs) That has some weight to it. That's like a hefty name. So, Ketos, or perhaps Ketos, not certain, means marine monster or whale. Mm. And then rhinos. That's what the keto diet is named after. Probably, yeah. Only eat. (laughs) Only eat whale. (laughs) (laughs) No carbs in whale. Oh, what if it's more like, uh, like you know how like the paleo diet is meant to be like emulate like the Paleolithic like human diet. What if 
the keto diet was like you can only eat like a marine monster. Mm, okay. <laughs> so you can only eat like squids and krill and stuff. If you don't have sailor men that you've lured to their doom, <laughs> store-bought is fine as well. <laughs> if you can't lure your own sailors to their death, <laughs> store-bought is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the next part of there, Rhinos, nose, and then Maximus, meaning great. Real big. Yes. He's real big. <laughs> I took Latin, okay. <laughs> I did not, and it shows. <laughs> so let's break it down. Yes. So the... <laughs> Are you about to turn your seat backwards? And... <laughs> let's rap. <laughs> <laughs> I got my educational rap about the basking shark. Drop no. a beat, Christian. Let's hear it. So let me describe what this is. So it is a shark. So this is not a gotcha moment. It is an actual shark. Excellent. We love to see it. Now, what kind of separates it from the other sharks is this kind of conical nose or rostrum, as it's sometimes referred to in fish. And yeah, things um, kind of get funky in the, in in the, the head, department, head yeah. department for the basking shark. And it has a big mouth. Yeah. <laughs> it gets bigger as it opens, kind of like a parachute. Parachute is, yeah, definitely yeah. it. I was thinking kind of cavernous. <laughs> mm -hmm. And gill slits that almost go entirely around its its head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is another weird thing mm -hmm. about it. You know what it reminds me of? Hmm. The uh, Alaskan bullworm. I guess. <laughs> like how it had the, the mouth that is yeah, like a giant okay. cave that you can go inside. Sure, sure. Uh, so that's the kind of the basic diagram of what this shark looks like. It's like normal shark stuff. Mm -hmm. But then if you took just the mouth part and like used the Photoshop like warp tool to just like drag it out as far as it could go. Mm -hmm. uh, one difference between it and the Alaskan bullworm, though, is it does not have large pointy teeth. The basking shark does not have large pointy no, teeth. No, it has small pointy teeth. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's very small. So I mentioned it's big, mm -hmm. but how big? How big, Christian? Up to 12 meters long, or 40 feet. Oh, wow. That is a big guy. Yes. How does that compare with some of the other sharks? It is the second largest shark oh, living so be, today. So it would be behind the whale shark, Yes, then. second only to the whale shark. Wow. Huh. <laughs> it's a big one. Yes. It can weigh up to 4,500 kilograms, or 5 tons. The, the average length, though, is 6.7 to 8.8 .8 meters, or 22 to 29 feet. And the average weight is 3,900 kilograms or four tons. And one might assume, hearing about, you know, a shark of such a massive size, that this would be something that you would need to panic about and be immensely fearful mm -hmm. of when going to the ocean. This one's not not that bad. Yeah, it's, it's not, not that too bad. bad. You don't need to worry until you get to the number three spot and down there. It's some gentle giants. <laughs> yeah. And we'll talk more about that, too. Now, where can you find these guys? Where can you find these guys, Christian? <laughs> the ocean, of course. Wow. <laughs> What? How narrowed down that response is? <laughs> Only 70% of the, the surface. <laughs> so they are coastal and pelagic, um, and they are found in the world's Arctic and temperate waters. So they have quite a range going for them. That sounds like all of the waters that you said. Almost all of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the very extremes, like in the poles and I think right on top of the equator. It sounded like you basically said they can be found in hot, warm, cool, or cold water. <laughs> <laughs> deep shallow all of it they don't care but they do actually you'll often find them at or near the surface and near the shore of mm. coastlines basking as it were yes in the sun another name for them is a sunfish oh, unfortunately stop it. too many fish There's too many of those <laughs> i think it's a problem because a lot of the fish that you will see are going to be near the surface, right? Mm, where the sun is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we need to institute some sort of, like, this username is taken when, like, yeah. coming up with common names for animals. Yeah, we have to retire that jersey number. <laughs> this, needs to be, this one's actually Sunfish02. <laughs> <laughs> they belong to the taxonomic family Ceterinidae, which is filter-feeding mackerel sharks, and the basking shark is the only extant member oh. of that family. You said filter-feeding mackerel sharks. I was like, there's more? <laughs> there used to be. Oh. Um, now, you might be familiar with the term mackerel shark. The Lamniformes order, the mackerel sharks, also includes the great white and goblin sharks. So let's get right into our first category. Please. Which is effectiveness. And this is where we talk about the physical attributes of the animal. 
So I'm giving an 8 out of 10. That's pretty good. The first thing, of course, is the size. It is the second largest fish. Uh, while it is second only to the whale shark, that gap is pretty wide. Oh, okay. Uh, when we're, especially when we're talking about weight. The max weight of a whale shark is about four times that of a basking shark. Oh my goodness, really? <laughs> yeah, which makes sense because basking sharks are uh, more slender, I would say. Whale sharks are wide. Yeah, yeah, they got the <laughs> the bus build. <laughs> they do look like a big old, it's like a little bus. I think that the school teacher in Finding Nemo should have been a whale shark. Mm. How cool would that have been? Oh, uh, yeah. But they brought, they brought one in into the sequel. They did. So there we go. And she was very sweet. She was. I liked her very much. Very nice. Next thing is their big mouth with their small teeth. It is really good for eating the things that they do eat. What do they eat? Because I would think with mouth wide, wide, wide open. (laughs) Good for chomping. Yep. So they feed on, and I hope I pronounce this correctly, zooplankton. That's how I've always heard it said, so I think you're good. That's enough for me. And the way they accomplish this, in addition to that big mouth that they open as they're moving around, uh, they have gill rakers that Mm. helps them filter feed. Gill rakers? Yes. Is that like something in addition to the gills? This is something most fish have Oh. uh, to some extent. The whole purpose of gill rakers is such that the food, whatever that is, Mm -hmm. does not flow out of their mouths through their gill slits. Did you know that that's how gills originated? Makes sense. That's like the original purpose (laughs) of gills. Like back before animals had bones and stuff. Okay. When everything was like worms and goopy stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, they were all in the ocean and developed these uh, filter feeding structures to capture nutrients out of the water. Mm -hmm. And just over time, those eventually began to also help with gas exchange. Mm. So like filter feeding structures are the origins of gills. Makes sense. And then lungs didn't come until way later. You know, I got the impression that there's a lot of material out there for the evolution of gills. Mm -hmm. I didn't didn't dive too far into it, though. Oh, you can get lost in it. (laughs) (laughs) I've been doing a lot of TikToks about this stuff recently. So Mm -hmm. like it's fresh on the brain. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. We can talk about the anatomy of gills a little bit. There's three main parts to them. Oh, please. Uh, so they're the rakers, which prevents the food from passing through their gills. Mm-hmm. There's the arch, which is the structural component of their gills. Um, so in bony fish, that's usually made of bone. Mm-hmm. And then in cartilaginous fish like sharks, it's made of cartilage. Are these the pharyngeal arches? Uh, I don't know. I, I didn't see that phrase. Because human embryos still have pharyngeal arches. So like when when a human embryo is like in early development, mm-hmm. it still has pharyngeal arches that used to become gills. Oh, basically, and like in fish, they still become gills. Okay, just for us, they don't become gills. They become like our like jaw and throat muscles and stuff like that. Like our our like middle ear and things like that. That's what our pharyngeal arches turn into. But interesting, in fish, it's like the same structure. So something I I learned about pretty recently because I don't have this, but some people have a little hole. Oh, I've heard next of this. To their, have you heard of this? Yeah. The, some people have this little hole next to their ears. It's called a preauricular sinus. And it's pharyngeal arches that didn't fuse all the way. Oh. So, like, it's kind of like a remnant of gills. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not gills. You wouldn't call it gills because it doesn't do that in humans. But, sure. like, it's a leftover remnant of the same structure that in fish goes on to become gills. Okay. I didn't come across that phrase personally, but that sounds right. <laughs> And then the last part of the gill is the filaments, which are, which does the actual exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide between mm. them and the water. So in humans, the way we get our oxygen is we breathe atmospheric air into our lungs, and then our lungs have our bloodstream in kind of close enough to where it's doing that oxygen exchange mm-hmm. and also releasing carbon dioxide. It's the same concept here. It's just they're doing it more external to their body with water. Yeah. And the water has to like pass over yes. the gills. Lots of sharks, including the basking shark, have to... uh, The only way that they can get water over their gills is if they're moving. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most bony fish don't have this problem because they have an extra part in their gills that lets them basically flap them. Yeah, buccal (laughs) pumping. Yeah, Uh they can do a buccal pumping. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of sharks can do that. Sure. Like a lot of times people think that like every shark has to continually keep moving or else it'll die, Mm. uh, which is called ram ventilation. Yes. Which it sounds like the basking shark does this. Which makes sense. It has another reason for needing to move a lot. So, <laughs> so like if you're already going to be moving around a lot, yeah, you're like, yeah. might as well. Sure. But people freak out when they see like a nurse shark or something like sitting on the bottom of the water, not mm-hmm. moving. They're like, oh, no, it's going to suffocate. No, they're fine. <laughs> Uh, so those are the gills. Um, nice. They are one of three filter feeding sharks. And we've talked about 
two so far. So the basking shark and the whale shark. Mm-hmm. The last one is the mega mouth shark. Mega mouth. Yes. Wow. That is the the lesser known of the three, I'd say. Yeah, I barely know about it. They're very elusive, is the really? thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. And oftentimes the, the pictures you do see of them are of individuals that have washed up or got caught in a trawling net, that kind of thing. Must be one of those ones that lives like way deep down in the water. It seems like it, but I've recently come across videos of them just kind of hanging out at the surface too. (laughs) (laughs) This like between like the size and the filter feeding, the fact that they're like so massive, but they also like feed on tiny, tiny little things. It sounds like some interesting like convergence with whales. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So what their gill rakers are doing is often what whales baleen are doing, right? Mm. A little different, I suppose, because the whales are taking a big gulp and then pushing the water out. Right. Uh, and then trapping the krill inside. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But with the basking shark and those kind of sharks, what they're doing, they have the, their mouth wide open. Um, the water is flowing into their mouth and out of their gill slits. But then the rakers are keeping the food they want from going out the gills and just keep going towards the back of their throat. It would be like running through the air with a butterfly net and like catching the food out of the sky. I think of it as like a pasta strainer. (laughs) (laughs) So if pasta was just raining from the sky at all times. And you had holes in your cheeks. (laughs) (laughs) So you put in little colanders in those holes and you let the pasta water flow out. Let the pasta go (laughs) I love Cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Now, here's a little, a weird little thing here. They oh. may shed their gill rakers and, uh, when they go into deeper waters to hibernate for the winter. How? They just fall off. I don't. <laughs> Front I falls don't, off. I don't want them to do that. <laughs> it seems like you need that. It, it grows <laughs> back, I guess. Hold on to it. They don't really know a whole lot about this. <laughs> they don't know how long it takes to grow back. But Oh, well. Hope it's not that long because yeah. that seems important. Mm-hmm. They are slow moving. They don't move very quickly. That's true. I think I saw a number of about two knots. Well, I mean, their prey is not going anywhere fast. (laughs) Not on any meaningful scale. (laughs) And what are they trying to escape from? I think they're fine. Yeah. They're thought to have chemo and electroreceptors on their snout. They could detect plankton by detecting dimethyl sulfide given off by phytoplankton, which is in turn eaten by zooplankton. Oh, that's interesting. So they're like not even detecting their prey, but their Mm. prey is prey yeah (laughs) (laughs) that would be like a a lion was sniffing around for like the specific type of grass that gazelles like to eat Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) that's interesting a lot like the other sharks and the whale shark they have dermal denticles love it all right skin teeth (laughs) let's go skin teeth (laughs) now this is where uh if you do ever come across a basking shark this is where you might want to be careful so they are large and they do have these pointy little teeth on their skin uh, they're not particularly afraid of people, so if they accidentally bump you, something that big with that sandpaper skin oh, could yeah, hurt you. <laughs> could. Now, I've always heard that like there's like a grain to mm-hmm. it that like if you go from like head to tail, it's fine, it's smooth. But mm-hmm. if you go the other way, then it'll scratch you up. But then if it's like like say you it, you like startle it or something, if it's right. thrashing against you, then I, from people that I've talked to that have worked with sharks, they say that when they like bring a shark onto a boat or something like that, and the shark is panicking and thrashing, yeah, that's when yeah. you get shark burn. <laughs> yeah. Basically, like <laughs> you get like rashed up from the shark's right. skin, like rasping against you. Yep, exactly. So don't touch them. Mm-hmm. And and people, they do this with whale sharks too. People like see a slow moving shark, especially if they like know that it's a filter feeder. So it's probably not going to like attack them or hurt them. They'll just like get on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? People just like get on them and like mess with them. Like don't do that either. Yeah. I feel like the whale shark is so different from all other sharks. You, you you will know immediately that that's what it is. Yeah. But with a basking shark, if you're not underwater with it, mm. there's a good chance you might mistake it for something else. I, I've seen <laughs> videos of this. Like, I've seen videos of people, like, freaking yeah. out because they think that, like, a great white is after them. Mm. Because, like you mentioned, like, they're bigger than great whites. Right. If you see one, you don't know what a basking shark is, and you see a shark that looks like that at that size, mm. you're going to lose it. <laughs> you're going to need a new swimsuit real fast. <laughs> I mean, they're not thick and chunky like the, the Great Whites, but um, they, yeah, they're in that magnitude. Mm-hmm. Next, I want to talk about their gestation. 
so meaning how long does it take for a new uh, basking shark to grow in the mother? Mm-hmm. That gestation period is three years. That's too many. It's a long time. I would not <laughs> I'd be like, I don't think I have it in me. <laughs> and it's more than one, too. It's more than one? Mm-hmm. So they are thought to be ovoviviparous, which means they hatch from eggs while still in the womb. Okay, so it ends up like looking like a live birth. Right. From the outside, it looks like they've just like a whole pup has just been birthed. Right. So you don't like lay an external egg that hatches. Right, right. That is what it looks like. So they start off with uh, yolk sacs, like many creatures do that come from eggs. Uh, but after that, that yolk runs up, what they do for the rest of their time gestating is uh, the juveniles will feed on unfertilized eggs that are also in the uterus. Waste not, want not, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. If you're not eating that, like... <laughs> <laughs> so kind of combined with that long gestation period, uh, they don't reach sexual maturity for some time. So males will reach sexual maturity around eight years old and females around 11 and a half years old. And that combined with a three-year mm-hmm. gestation, that's like... They're not cranking out that many babies, mm-hmm. it sounds like. Right. Which makes sense for like a really large animal like this. They're big, yeah. Yeah. They're not doing that thing that like a lot of fish do where they'll just like, I mean, this is not something that like sharks in general do, but like what you see in fish is where they'll put out like thousands of babies. Right. <laughs> and be like, all right, good luck, you know. Uh, they're actually kind of like put investing a lot of like energetic resources into mm. each young, but like then what you end up with is like by the time they they do emerge, then they're probably going to be all right. Yeah, because once they're actually born, they're pretty much on their own at that point. To help them swim, they are almost neutrally buoyant, and that is because of their liver. Sharks are known for not having swim bladders like many right. fish do. Right, right, right. So their buoyancy a lot of time comes from their very oil-rich livers. Mm. Right. Now, basking sharks are particularly known for the size of their livers and the contents of it. They're real greasy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Around 100 gallons of oil in an average-sized adult. Oh, dear. Yes. Ew. <laughs> Before you move away from swim bladders. Yes. So you remember how I mentioned that, like, lungs showed up way later after gills because gills were first Mm -hmm. so lungs and swim bladders evolved from the same structure Mm. and so i think that the reason why sharks don't have swim bladders is that they split from the rest of the fish lineages before swim bladders Mm. ever existed okay so like they already had pieced out of like all the other fish and then (laughs) everyone else figured out swim bladders and lungs after they'd already left basically but then the sharks were just like you know we're fine yeah they're like we don't need it it's fine (laughs) (laughs) it's like the pizza showed up at the party after they'd already left Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) longevity wise uh, they're thought to live around 32 years in the wild i perhaps unnecessarily specify in the wild because we don't have any data about them in captivity. I was thinking about, I don't think I've ever heard of one in captivity. Yeah. Um, I didn't look into that. I kind of wish I did now. But I, I've I, never heard of it. I assume there are problems with trying to keep them in captivity. And that's known to yeah. be the case with like, <laughs> especially these large, I mean, like great white sharks. Famously, you can't keep them in captivity. They die right. within like months. Right. But then whale sharks are fine. Yeah. So I, I wonder know. what the deal is. Don't know. So I'll be moving on to ingenuity. I'm giving a seven out of ten. When I look at a basking shark's face, mm-hmm. I'm not feeling like there's a lot of thought. Yeah, no thoughts. <laughs> I did see pound for pound relative to large body size. They do have one of the smaller brains of the sharks. Now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but um, they do some pretty interesting things. So they are migratory, first of all. Mm-hmm. And that migration is based on the availability of plankton. Uh, So that's going to fluctuate with what the plankton is eating and uh, the weather, seasons, etc. So they're they're following the plankton, basically. Got it. Sometimes multiple individuals will swim at the surface in a single file line. What? Oh, they're on a parade! (laughs) But here's the thing. When they're swimming at the surface like that, their dorsal fins are sticking out of the water. Who are you hiding from? (laughs) Everyone can see you. This has spawned stories of sea serpents is the thing. (gasps) So it's what it looks like is you like some sort of sea serpent with spines kind of oh, moving through the water in a wiggly fashion. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And they move really slowly yes. too. So like they'd be up there for a while. Uh-huh. 
Man, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I couldn't find why they do that. Because it seems like, you know, if they're in a single file line, the person in front of them is getting all the food, right? True. But maybe it's not that exact of a single file. <laughs> right. I'm thinking of other animals that, like, travel like that. But mm-hmm. they're usually, like, like wolf packs might travel like that. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, they're not filter feeding, right? So mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. But, like, herds will travel like that. But right. then that's because they're trying to hide from predators. And I don't mm-hmm. know if basking sharks really have any predators. Not at that. Not at the adult size, really. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, always assume orcas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> always assume orca can be a predator for any animal. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe some not yet understood social interaction, perhaps. I like it. I'm glad they're doing it. Keep doing it. <laughs> they breach, which is interesting. No. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> It is thought that maybe they do that as part of a mating ritual or to get rid of parasites like lampreys, remoras, and copepods. Especially if you move really slow yes. through the water, you're going to you're gonna get some hop-ons. <laughs> now, luckily, you know, with such tough skin, not everything is going to be able to get through it. Oh, like, yeah. like lampreys, for example, probably won't, but they'll try. Um, <laughs> they also have been seen kind of rubbing themselves on rocks like close to shore to, for probably for the same reasons. Itchy. Yeah. Itchy. <laughs> Poor babies. And moving on to our final category of aesthetics. Mm-hmm. I'm giving a, f- a 9 out of 10. That's very good. I like not just this shark, but sharks in general. I usually. know you like sharks in general. <laughs> um, I think they kind of resemble paddlefish. Which, I see it. Yeah, yeah. in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the paddlefish have that like paddle like rostrum or nose and then they also do like a filter feeding thing where you know their mouth goes Bwah. Uh, <laughs> it goes what <laughs> Bwah. very good thank you <laughs> um i'm gonna start using that as the little like transitional like pinging sound when i'm like <laughs> editing something in it's gonna be Bwah. yeah basically <laughs> <laughs> although from what i can see that's mostly a superficial resemblance there um now they're very young juveniles have hooked nose and rostrums oh dear yes yeah, so Hold they're on. i've i already got it for you oh good oh thank you you're so thoughtful <laughs> um this is from a paper actually titled a young basking shark cotorhinus maximus from japan uh the paper was from the 90s but this particular picture was taken in the 70s was this like an observational article just like an article like this is one of them. We saw it. <laughs> well, it talks a little bit more about how old they think it was based on uh, rings and its cartilage yeah. and the vertebrae and all that. So here's what this one looked like. Now, this is a dead one. It is dead. <laughs> That's not flattering. Why yeah. did you pick this picture to show me? <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. So they're kind of born like this. And then that nose, as they get a little older, kind of develops into that more straight rostrum. I see. I wonder, why. do they know why it starts off hooked like that? It's thought that maybe it helps them with how they eat when they're first born and also in utero when they're eating the eggs and things. That oh. probably helps for being birthed, actually. You think so? I would think to help with the birth canal and all that oh <laughs> i'm really glad i'm not a basking shark <laughs> three years of pregnancy and then that you give birth to gonzo <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh it's very young that it still looks like this because it's thought to you know straighten out within the first year right um so they, they thought this one was six months or younger perhaps okay i liked the basking sharks in abzu Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. It was a fun little treat. In one of the areas where you swim into, it's like a big open ocean area mm. where there's like a big bait ball swimming. And <laughs> it's it's kind of like if you kind of go around and explore a little bit, mm. you can run into basking sharks, which is really, really cool. You can ride them. Nice. <laughs> there are places where you can go on eco tours to go see the basking sharks, notably uh, northern UK, uh, mm. like Ireland and those areas you can go and see those on tours for like small boats and things i would do it i would too i would do it that seems a lot less <laughs> scary than orcas yeah <laughs> orca watching feels like you're on thin ice they could take you out at a moment especially moment's now notice. i Jeez. know now that they have a taste for blood <laughs> yeah so their current conservation status is endangered oh no yes and that is a as of a 2018 assessment by the IUCN. That is because there's a long history of being overfished. 
I'd never heard of them being fished before at all, ever. It has been way slowed down as of you know recent decades, mm-hmm. but there's been a high demand for their fins and flesh and oil. I guess if you're going to eat shark, that one is it's got a lot of shark on it. Yeah, there's a lot there, and it's not and exactly... And they're slow and easy to catch. So, yeah, okay, it's, it's coming together. It's all this time. So those, the liver in particular for the oils, because it's been used in things like the cosmetics industry and oh, that wow. sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, all right. I, mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about it until we really like thought through it, but <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. So overfishing is a problem, or has been a problem, especially with that long gestation period Mm. and how long it takes to reach sexual maturity. Mm -hmm. Kind of like how we talked about with the grizzly bear a couple weeks back. Yeah, like if you take out one basking shark, that's like 15 years worth Mm -hmm. of like developmental progress. Right. That you're outdoing with like one catch. Yeah. So at one point, you know, they they were snatching them out of the ocean at just a head-spinning rate to meet that demand. So lots of countries have dialed back on that a lot by putting in formal protections for them. Oh, good. Yeah. Be nice to basking sharks. Mm -hmm. That is the basking shark. Excellent. What immaculate vibes. (laughs) I like it when you just got a big old guy that Mm -hmm. just takes it easy. (laughs) Gotta be one of the best animals. Yeah. Let's take a quick break to hear from our friends on the Maximum Fun Network, and then we'll be right back with my animal. You there! Have you considered listening to the Beef and Dairy Network, an award-winning comedy show in the form of a newsletter podcast for the beef and dairy industries? Well, maybe you should. And why don't you try our most recent episode, episode 99, which features American man Paul F. Tompkins playing Queen Elizabeth II's former personal beef sommelier. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II and I, laying on the floor of her bedroom... Uh, just helplessly laughing till tears run down our faces as corgis are jumping on us, over us, licking us. That is a day that I will treasure forever until I am executed. Find the show at MaximumFun.org. I hope there's beef in heaven. Hey there, beautiful people. I'm Jarrett Hill. And I'm Trevo Anderson. And we want to know, have you ever had mixed feelings about the things that you love? Ooh, maybe about the things that you hate? Then Fantai is the show for you. Fantai is the podcast for all those complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives. You might have conflicting feelings about Kamala Harris or mm-hmm. propaganda or mm-hmm. interracial friending. Mm-hmm. That's all right, because we do too. And we get into it every single Thursday. Catch this Slay Worthy audio at MaximumFun.org. That's MaximumFun.org slash Fantai. That's F-A-N-T-I. Come get all this good good. Or this great great. So what animal do you bring us, Ellen? This week, I'm talking about the northern glass frog. Oh. Scientific name, Hyalinobatracheum fleischmanni. That's a very complicated name you just did there. Yeah, I definitely (laughs) for sure said it right (laughs) on my first try. As far as I know. To the best of your knowledge, I said it perfectly. Mm -hmm. This species was submitted by both Ellis and Heidi Tavel. Thank you both. Thanks, y'all. And I'm getting my information from the Rainforest Alliance, Animal Diversity Web, and articles to be cited along the way. Mm. This is a little guy. This is a little frog. They're not that big. They're only just under an inch long or 25 millimeters. Teeny tiny. Little. Like most interesting frogs, they can be found in rainforests from southern Mexico (laughs) to South America. That's just like the frog zone. That's just the frog belt, I think. (laughs) I'm sensing some smoke for not interesting frogs. (laughs) I mean... There's only so much you can say about most frogs. It gets repetitive really quick. Sure. <laughs> and they belong to the taxonomic family Centralinidae, which are the glass frogs, of which there are over a hundred species. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only sort of arbitrarily chosen this particular species because it is the one specifically referenced in papers about some of the more interesting aspects of this animal. Makes sense. So since the papers are about this species, that's the one I picked, but these traits are not exclusive to this species. Anyway, glass frogs are so named for their striking appearance. They are small frogs whose body appears lime green from above, but the skin on their underside and on their feet is translucent. Oh? So 
translucent means that it's mostly transparent but like still blocks some light so like it's not a hundred percent transparent it's like frosted glass yeah like frosted glass basically in the case of the glass frog their skin kind of looks like clear glass and you Mm -hmm. can see through them which means that from below you can see their internal organs Mm. like their heart their lungs um their intestines like their inside parts basically you can see through from underneath Mm. of course in the wild you're not often going to be seeing them from underneath because they usually are like resting on leaves and stuff like that right so it's really only like a special treat for humans because we have like glass we can put them on and like see them from below (laughs) um but it is really cool if you see them from below but also their feet are translucent and that's an important part of it that i'll talk about in just a second i just i do feel like since like humans have the unique ability to like view them from beneath it feels like it's not our business you know what i mean like this was not meant to be seen we weren't meant to see that like (laughs) i feel like i'm violating the frog like it doesn't feel appropriate you can see my what So, um, yeah, it's just a little see-through frog. Now, their back is green. Mm-hmm. So, they're, it's not like the whole thing is see-through. Okay. That would be really weird. Yeah, um, little predators walking around. <laughs> so, for effectiveness, I'm giving the glass frog a full 10 out of 10. Wow. Yes. Because, so you know how there's a common misconception that chameleons change color to match the surface they're on. Mm -hmm. That's not how chameleons work. That's not why they change color. But people think that's what they're doing. They think that's like they're they're like matching the color that they're on. Right. Glass frogs are actually doing that. Oh. But they're not doing it intentionally. It's automatic. It's a passive ability. Yes, it is a a (laughs) passive ability. Um, So the top of the glass frog's body is green, which generally blends in with leaves. But not all leaves are the same shade of green. So you're going to get a darker green or a brighter green. Mm -hmm. So that same shade of green isn't going to blend in on every leaf. So the translucent skin lets the frog's shade of green automatically adjust to the color of the leaf. Mm. So it's basically transferring some of that color through their skin and like making their skin look the same shade as the leaf that they're on. But in addition to that, when the frog is sitting with its see-through glass feet, like kind of splayed around the side of its body, it creates a gradient effect Mm. that actually like blurs the edges of their silhouette, making it much less noticeable and recognizable to predators, which is a really interesting, like unique camouflage technique that's called edge diffusion, kind of like blurring the lines between their body and the Mm -hmm. leaf. This comes from a paper titled Imperfect Transparency in Camouflage in Glass Frogs by James B. Barnett et al. And that was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in May of 2020. And before I move on from this paper, I have to talk about the methods because this paper seems like a delight. This seems like the most fun paper to have worked on ever. Okay. It sounds like they were having some fun with this one. So first of all, they wanted to test whether or not the glass frogs blurred edges actually had an impact on how difficult it was to detect so they photoshopped a bunch of pictures of frogs (laughs) and like changed the opacity of like the legs and the body to make it like some pictures they were opaque and some they were transparent Mm -hmm. and you know then changed the legs to see whether like just having the legs be transparent made a difference and then (laughs) To quote the paper, 20 human participants were tasked with finding the frogs as quickly as possible against a background made up of calibrated photographs of green leaves. So they did one of those, can you find the frog? (laughs) Which, as you know, I'm I'm famously so bad at this. (laughs) I would never find that frog. (laughs) I would... (laughs) If they put me in that study, I would be an outlier so fast. I would be dragging those averages up. <laughs> I feel like it took this one chick like 30 right. seconds to find this frog. <laughs> I'm so bad at those. I'd be a nightmare uh, in this test. But then in addition to that, okay, so it wouldn't quite be fair to judge their camouflage based on like how well humans exactly. can see them. Yeah. Like that's not super fair. So they also wanted to put the translucence to the test in the frog's native element. So they used green gelatin <laughs> to make a bunch of fake jelly frogs. <laughs> okay. 
and like used food coloring to like change how green or how transparent they were and then just scattered them along a riverbank it was outside of the town of mindo ecuador and they recorded how quickly they got eaten so they basically like affixed them to like leaves and stuff to right. mimic like the behavior of this frog mm-hmm. and then monitored how quickly all of the little jelly frogs got eaten by local predators. Someone just wanted to play a scavenger hunt game in the rainforest. <laughs> this is so like this sounds so fun. <laughs> They're did, playing find the frog. They're playing jelly. <laughs> did it mention who the primary, I guess, predators were? I mean, maybe it did, but I didn't make a note of that while I was reading. But, you know what they did include? Mm. The recipe for the for the jelly frogs. Oh boy. <laughs> So if you want to make your own jelly frog and perform the experiment on Uh your own, they do include the recipe in the paper. (laughs) Let me grab our cat real quick. (laughs) (laughs) He would love that. That would be great enrichment for the cat. (laughs) Like it would be a fun, like, I don't know, science class experiment, you know, like for Mm -hmm. kids, make jelly Mm -hmm. frogs. It's fun. I really enjoyed those papers. It's not like they were having a good time with it. Sounds like it. But just in case you thought I was done talking about their camouflage, I wasn't. There's more. Oh, Just kidding. (laughs) You better be. (laughs) So while your skin can be as transparent as you want, unless you're an ice fish, your blood can't be, right? Mm, Because your blood's full of red blood cells, which are famously red. It's in the name. Mm -hmm. And they're going to show through, right? And your body needs to circulate oxygen with the red blood cells. The red blood cells are taking oxygen from parts of your body and bringing them to other parts of your body. It's a necessary function of your body to survive. (laughs) So the red blood cells are kind of working against camouflage here. So what the frog does is something really, really bizarre. When the frog is asleep and therefore at kind of its most vulnerable, where it wouldn't be able to see a predator coming and jump out of the way in time, it trades off circulation for camouflage and it pulls almost all of its red blood cells out of circulation and parks them in their liver they squeeze all of their red blood cells into their liver which is like tucked up underneath the more like opaque side of their body Uh and they like hold on to all of their red blood cells and not all of them but like almost all it's like 90 percent of them And then just, like, don't circulate blood Mm. while they're sleeping. Now, see, here's the thing. Usually, when you have red blood cells that are densely packed into a small area of the body, that's not usually a good thing. It causes really bad problems. Um, Blood clots can form in crowded blood vessels, which block the flow of blood, um, which is called thrombosis. And it's a bad thing. It's not good when that happens. But these glass frogs don't seem to suffer from it. Hmm. They seem to be fine. Their blood just doesn't clot. Like, they pack it all in, and then once they're ready to let it flow again, it just goes. They don't seem to have, like, a clotting issue. Does it just not clot ever, or in this situation specifically? I don't think it's known. Like, Hmm. they need to do more research on, like, how frog circulation works, because that could give us some ideas for how to, like, prevent or treat thrombosis in humans, right? Right. Like, if we can figure out how frogs are clumping up all of their blood without letting it block their, like, Hmm vessels and stuff we may be able to use some of that for human blood clotting treatments or if it's some sort of permanent anticoagulant in their system right how how do they overcome the side effect of never being able to clot and maybe you know bleeding out from a small injury oh true yeah yeah i don't know how like frequently that is an issue for Mm -hmm. them but like since these are like little frogs found in like rainforests and stuff they're not necessarily super heavily studied but it's definitely something that like has medical researchers attention now because they're like well hold on they might know something we don't (laughs) maybe they're just a glass cannon i guess (laughs) (laughs) uh and that comes from the paper glass frogs conceal blood in their liver to maintain transparency and that was by carlos tabuada at all published in science in december of 2022 nice and that paper like really recently made like headlines and like made the rounds in the news recently which is why those two folks requested this frog got it yeah but then i found the other thing from 2020 about mm. so it's it's all very interesting very good just because like a lot of times with animals that have like really specked into camouflage a lot of times that translates to like not having a lot of defenses available once you have thwarted the camouflage and like detected the frog uh-huh. then it's kind of game over yeah no plan b but they do glass frogs do like other frogs have long and incredibly powerful hind legs that mm. can either quickly propel them up to 10 feet away 
which keep in mind, this is a one inch long frog. Right. Huge jumps. Big ups. Or mm-hmm. crane kick the attacker right in the mouth. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> which I found this YouTube video. It's it's a National Geographic video that I found on YouTube. And it's called The Glass Frog, The Ultimate Ninja Dad. And it's of a glass frog kicking wasps away from its eggs. So there's these wasps that are coming to attack this glass frog's eggs. He just starts kicking them. <laughs> I bet this inspired that TV show on Netflix. Which one? You're going to have to be more specific. Oh, the Ninja Frog show. Oh, gosh. Isaac was watching it not too long ago. What yeah, was that? I don't remember what it's Had called. nothing. Yeah. So, yeah. I just think they got a lot going for them. Having the physical option of, like, adjusting your circulation to, like, improve your camouflage and being able to do that situationally. Mm-hmm. It's. I think it's really cool. These are really awesome little frogs. Uh, Moving on to ingenuity for glass frogs, I'm giving them a 6 out of 10. Now, for frogs, for frogs, they're pretty good dads. Okay. Dads specifically. So after mating, the females stick their eggs to the bottom side surface of the leaves that the dad is sitting on. And they hang over bodies of water Mm. so that once the eggs hatch, the tadpoles fall into the water. Now, even though most male frogs leave the eggs behind, male glass frogs stay behind and guard the eggs. So uh, he fights off predators like the wasps. Mm -hmm. He, interestingly, keeps them from getting too dry by peeing on them. Okay. So sweet. How thoughtful. (laughs) I've got this. Yeah, he's like, don't worry, guys. I got you. You're not going to dry out on my watch. It will pee all over you. Uh, very sweet of him to do that. Um, and also, if some of the eggs get parasites, like frog flies, which are a huge problem for these frogs, uh-huh. um, he may eat the affected eggs, okay. which sounds mean. I mean... But it's to protect the clutch, right? Like, if one of them has a parasite that could spread to the rest of them, he'll eat that one. Right. Because that parasite, the frog flies lay their eggs on top of the frog eggs. And then if they hatch, then the fly larva eats the frog eggs. Mm. So if he can catch it, then he can eat the fly eggs and and it won't become a problem. Hmm. So he is actually a really good dad. He does continue calling for other females while he has these eggs so what you can sometimes end up with is a male glass frog with multiple clutches to guard simultaneously oh. and they might be at different stages <laughs> in development <laughs> so. a single dad who works two jobs <laughs> bless his heart you know he's just doing his best out here but he like keeps calling new females <laughs> I mean, he's like, it's good. Just stick him next to the other ones. <laughs> That's a serious baby fever right there. I know. I guess he just can't get enough. <laughs> but he is at least a good dad. And, the, you know, I really only gave him a six out of 10 based largely on assumptions based on what I know about frogs, mm-hmm. which is just that they're they're just like that. They're not deep thinkers. They, I've heard them described so many times as like a mouth with legs, which oh. is kind of what they are. Hmm. <laughs> There's not so much going on between those eyes. It's not a lot happening back there. Strong legs, though. Eat bug. <laughs> That's it. They got one goal. Eat bug. Bug very far away. Wait a minute. Wait, what is... Jump? And the jumping is really just for the purpose of eat bug. Mm -hmm. All things serve eat bug. Yeah, yeah. And finally, for aesthetics, I'm giving the glass frog an 8 out of 10. Okay. They're very cute. Mm -hmm. They are adorable. From what perspective? From above. They're so cute. From up top. Uh-huh. They're so cute. They got those big round eyes and they're just adorable. But then they are being hindered a little bit aesthetically by the fact that they are designed only to be seen from above. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also designed specifically to not be seen. <laughs> like the whole point is to not see them. I'm trying. What I have to compare them against are very impressive frogs. Yeah, that's true. Like poison yeah. dart frogs. Like, beautiful. They're gorgeous. The, um, what, the, the red-eyed tree frogs? Yes. Like, we've seen some interesting stuff with frogs. Mm-hmm. I get that that's the opposite of what they're going for. <laughs> but still, give me something. You know what uh, I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. They're very cute. I'm giving them an 8 out of 10. Very good. You know what I was thinking about a lot while I was doing these notes? Mm. 
polywhirl. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do their tadpoles also show off the intestines like that? Or? I think that the tadpoles are completely translucent. Oh, okay. like the whole body is translucent. They don't develop like the green color until they're adults. Makes sense. Yeah. This particular species of glass frog is of least concern, but other species of glass frog in their family aren't doing as well. 11 species of glass frog are listed as critically endangered mm. on the IUCN red list, and 39 of them are endangered. Deforestation and loss of habitat are the biggest threats to glass frogs, as with a lot of frogs that live all over the world. So if you would like to learn more about how you can support efforts to protect rainforests and the adorable little glass frogs that live in them, uh, I will provide a link to the Rainforest Alliance's website in the episode description. Very good. And that's the glass frog. Well, thank you. Thank you. We were a little overdue for an amphibian. You know when the last amphibian we talked about was? It wasn't the Suriname toad, is it? No, that no. was way too long yeah, ago. Yes, okay. It was like years ago. It was the Sicilian. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was the last amphibian we talked mm. about. We've been slacking a little bit on amphibians, but, uh, <laughs> but I thought this was a good one. Yeah, It was a sure. fun one. And that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for spending this time with us. If you liked what you heard, I would love it if you could give us a good review on your podcast app of choice such as the five-star review left for us by Lasagna Frick on Apple Podcasts, mm -hmm. who called us ear candy Aww. and said, well, maybe eat fruit because it's also good for you. Joyful, silly, and smart, the perfect podcast. Yay. <laughs> and I really appreciated that. Mm -hmm. Joyful is how I feel when making the podcast. So mm -hmm. I hope that that uh, conveys to the listener. I hope that joy makes it through the airwaves to your ears. Yes, for sure. If you'd like to hang out with us online, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, TikTok. May Twitter rest in peace. It's been a good run. <laughs> <laughs> if you have an animal that you'd like to hear us talk about on the show, my email address is ellen at justthezooofus.com. We'd like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on the network alongside their other amazing shows, just like the ones that you heard promos for here today. And if you want to learn more about the network and the shows on it and how you can be a part of supporting our show, you can head over to MaximumFun.org. Finally, we'd like to thank Louis Zong for our theme music. Which also features a frog. It does. Not this frog, but different frogs. Mm -hmm. It's a frog-heavy theme song, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's all for this week. See you later. Bye, y'all. Bye. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.